What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. I am Gary Fox, associate pastor, not of the month, but I am working my way back up because this is my second podcast in a row that I've been here. And so I'm working those merits back up to yeah. defeat si- uh, Simon and Mark again. Yeah, and we're uh, it's going to be three in a row for us. We've got um, the way we're doing it now, we're recording out. Yeah. So uh, this one won't be posted for like a week and a half Right. Um, by the time they hear it. So hopefully we're not giving you any late information if we can keep that on our mind. But uh, this, this allows us to And what I'm about to say would be coming. really weird if this actually happens. What if one of us dies before this is before posted? Before it's released. Ooh. And we're sitting here talking like everything is like just like normal and it's not. Like, and then we're like, then this we're Sunday like, we're going to have a potluck and it's like, Gary, oh, Gary didn't here. make it to the podcast. <laughs> That's not funny. Hey, if that happens, don't be sad. I am shouting on the hills of glory right now. Uh, oh, man. All right. So, um, so, back to normal. Yeah, you went to the Browns game. It would have been a week and a half ago by the time they're listening. That was you a went to the Steelers game. Time and money. Was it? Gosh. <laughs> now the boys like it, though. They had a blast. Yeah, because it was Christian's it. first game. And it's Christian's first game. Calvin. Um, I don't know. Calvin never acted uh, as quite as like thrilled. Like Christian, it was like Christmas for Christian. Like he he was talking about this for weeks. Like is this the week? Is this the week? Is this the week? Calvin realized that the Browns sucked. So Calvin's he's trying always, not to get his hopes up. Part of it is those of you that know Christian, you know he's had um, some some what's the word delays. So he is because of that and, and uh, some of his. Uh, how do I put this? We haven't been able to like he hasn't been able to do stuff as quickly as Calvin did mm-hmm. because of behavior and maturity and so forth. So Calvin had been to stuff like this when he was probably three and four, Christian six now. So like he's older and it, it just it, like a really big deal to him that Dad was taking him to a Browns game. And the whole time he was there, he was just like his eye just smiling and looking up and looking around and everything. Right, but. When they when he realized because I was there was like two, when the two minute warning happened and the Browns were down, I was like Christian, you see the the clock right there. I was like when it gets to zero, if we're still down, it means we lose. And he's like, oh. so then you could tell he was looking at that clock the whole time. Uh-huh. And when it went to zero, man, it was sad and, and cute at the same time. He hung his head like it hurt, man. Yeah, it, it hurt him that we. Daddy, we lost. Hurt me too. We went to a trunk or treat, and Aubrey was setting our trunk up. And I was watching in the car. And I came out, and Aubrey knew that the game wasn't over. She's like, "No, babe, it's fine. You don't have to help. You know, I I got it. Watch the game." And I was like, "There is no game. Forget this. It losing to the Steelers is such a. It is the worst. It, It is the worst. Well." I, I hate. There's just Steelers. something too, like every time we lose, especially to like a Steelers team who's who's not we great. Could be, yeah. Like we've got a great roster, and we're like allegedly. we're just not playing with it. Oh no, we do. Like, period. All those guys, like all of them, have had like standout seasons. Like literally everybody, and none of them are showing up. Like Chubb, yeah. Chubb had a tough time this game too. You know, I think he well, finished. Well, that was like, his first game back in yeah. three or four games or whatever. So, Anyways, man, I love that guy. One guy tried to start stuff with him on the sideline. He had yep. his arm hung up, yep. and he just shoved him off and kept walking, and the guy wanted to talk smack and get into his head, and he just kept on going. So. I, I met, we met him, Calvin and I did, at yeah. a Wadsworth uh, fundraiser thing for the youth football. Chubb yeah. came out to it. Yeah. 
and you know you pick up on stuff and he really is a humble person like the way he talks and the, it just I don't know you just right. I, I don't know you, you pick up on it like he really is that type of guy so then it makes me like him even more yeah like he is not he is whatever the opposite of a prima donna is that's Chubb yeah. He really just is part of a team and just really wants to see his team win and really soft-spoken and nice and just really friendly and genuine and yeah. I don't know. So it makes you like him even more. And so that doesn't and like when he scores touchdowns, he's not, you know, doing dances and right. break dancing or anything like that. He just flips the ball to the referee and keeps you know, goes back to the sideline to it's like, well, what I like that attitude. It's like I've been here before, this is my job. It's what I'm supposed to do. I shouldn't be excited about it. It's like I expected to score, so. Yeah, no doubt. Anyway. I'm glad you guys had fun with that. So, Church, what we're going to be getting into today, we're going to be uh, breaking down a little bit more of the Reformation uh, from a little over a week ago uh, when we had Reformation Sunday. You can go back and listen to that uh, sermon from Reformation Sunday. Um, Definitely something to continue growing in and and learning and understanding the importance of it. We're also going to get into the second point of the Doctrines of Grace with TULIP being unconditional election. Uh, We're going to start off here with the Reformation. So uh, some details and things that, um, you know, we've talked about in the past, things that get left out of a message uh, for the sake of time or whatever, some details. Um, And I know, Pastor Gary, you you had some things that that stood out that you wanted to kind of hit on the podcast to make sure we go through them. The first one being, I'll let you talk about it, but um, indulgences. That yeah. uh, One of the points I made, there, there's a an aspect of indulgence where it's like you're paying ahead of yourself, but there was a, a really sneaky, terrible thing that was going on with indulgences that first service missed um, because I hadn't hit on it, but um, really made a, an emphasis on it in the second service. What is that? Yeah, the big the big pitch that, I think his name was Tetzel, yeah. when he John showed Tetzel. up in the yep. town, he was, I mean... You got to you got to get the picture here. Like it looked like a carnival, right? That was showing up into town. Okay, which offended Luther just immediately. Like this guy looks like like a carny. Okay, showing up. He had a jingle. Literally, he would say, "When a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs," and that was his jingle. And he would say that and shout that and get people. And so the idea was that, you know, the Roman Catholic Church had become so corrupt in their doctrine and in their understanding. And as Michael was saying in the message, like, these people did not have the Bible in their own language ever. And their grandparents didn't. And their great, like, nobody did for a thousand years or more. It it just wasn't, it was just, you can't even relate to it anymore. You can't relate to what they were living under. Right. We've got access to, yeah, like especially here in America, hundreds of translations. So it's not only that the Roman Catholic Church like dominated doc, the doctrine and then the culture and, and the, even the politics. There was no way to debate them. Very little way for the, especially the average guy, to do anything because he didn't have it in his own language and he didn't speak Latin, other than basic stuff that he would pick up in church. That was being you hear said it enough, and it, yeah. a little bit, but not to where you can read it. But it's only what's being said. It was you what's what being mean? said. Yeah. Like most of the people, their understanding and their the way they learned Bible stories was by looking at the stained glass windows and the icons and things like that. And and it wasn't like all lies. Like you know, there's Jonah. There's you know, and so you learn these things. But they had this this huge concept that you had to be purified from your sins. 
before you would go into heaven. You could eat it unless you were a saint, okay? You don't go straight into heaven. And so, obviously, we read in the Bible about how Jesus is what cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. Therefore, when we die, we go to heaven instant. Well, no, they don't have this. So they had this whole thing of purgatory where you've got to then spend, depending on how bad of a sinner you were, they had this whole system. Like, if you had mortal sins like murder on your record, you went straight to hell. Most people were not murderers, so and they, most people were not saints, so almost everybody went to purgatory. And depending on how bad you were, would determine how long it was going to take you to suffer in purgatory for your sins, purge, that's the root word there, purge yourself, and then get yourself eventually into heaven. So, you've got your mother, you've got your grandmother, you've got your brother, you've got all these people that have died, and you know that they're in purgatory, and one of your things that you had to do is not only pray for your own soul, but you would also spend time praying for the souls of your dead loved ones, right? So it was a burden. I mean, it was definitely a heavy thing because purgatory was not hell, but it was not heaven, and it was suffering. So Tetzel shows up with this scheme where you can now, because we need to fill the coffers and there was all these projects that the Roman Catholic Church was trying to accomplish and wars and all kinds of stuff they had to fund, that you could then, by giving sacrificially, you could expedite a loved one. And possibly get them straight out of purgatory and into heaven. Right. And they believe that. So he shows up saying this. Luther is aghast at this. Okay. Now they all knew about indulgences and so forth. They all knew about the concept of, of doing good works to expedite either on behalf of others to get them out of heaven or yourself, but it was it was a very much a works based. This idea that you could like just buy it blew Luther's mind. Remember, he's not Luther as we know him now. He was still Roman Catholic Luther, but he's a doctor in the church. Like he he knew the original languages, and he's already wrestling with these things. Tetzel shows up with this carnival, and people are not just giving like a dollar from in our language, like the way we would look at it. They were given, in some cases, like up to half of their year's wage to try to get a loved one out of purgatory. Luther sees this and about goes berserk. He goes and confronts Tetzel over this. He's like, what are you doing? And Tetzel pulls out a piece of paper, essentially, signed by the Pope that said he had authorization to do this. So now you've got two, and this is what sparked the Reformation. There's two issues here. One is this false doctrine of how you get to heaven. Luther was like, this is not what the Bible teaches at all. Number one, Tetzel pushes back and says, the Pope has given me the authority to do this. And then Luther's response was, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Now you've got a bigger issue here. Because not only is this issue on the issue of how to get to heaven, now it's the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Luther then begins to say, if the, if the Roman Catholic Church is saying that something contradicts the Bible, you go with the Bible and kaboom. That, all of a sudden, now you've got a major explosion because now we're dealing with the fundamental issue of authority. 
Right. So there's your history lesson. And off we went. It, it just took off from there. Um, what led to the yeah. sparking of what we call the Reformation. Right. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, um, the Diet of Worms uh, kind of got into it. It is called Diet of Worms, not Worms. Um, I wanted to make sure because with, with German... Worms. So I looked it up. It's, it's Worms, so it, it's disgusting. Uh, like, they were talking... This video I watched was talking about, like, the name and uh, kind of, like, how uh, terrible it is. But it's the... Uh, you can look online. It's called the Imperial Diet of Worms. Um, like the full name, and and really what what happens here is in this like even though Luther's defending his position, this is his excommunication. He's he's banned. Like he's this is not a good spot for him. Mm-mm. And and in it, John Huss he, he, he lays had it already right. been burned at the stake over this right a hundred years before. This was a very dangerous dangerous thing to be doing. Right. So you know he goes in, and I mean this is. Him going into this is like pretty much you should not be listening to this guy, but he gets a chance to defend his position, and that's where he busts out in all kinds of um, other awesome, awesome quotes. Yeah, awesome quotes. Um, you want to know something that's interesting about that? So he was given safe passage. The Pope guaranteed him safe passage to get to the Diet of Because he was gone, right? Yeah, he was in hiding. Yeah. Safe passage means you come, we're not going to burn you at the stake when you get here. Which was definitely the providence of God. They gave that same promise to John Huss a really? hundred years ago. Yeah. You come, you have safe passage, then they found some loophole or made something up and burned him at the stake. John Huss. Yes. Yes. So when Luther that I mean, there was real tension. Like, can you imagine this, right? Like, they've said this to people before and went back on it. So it's you're that's why at the end of the first service, I was telling people, watch the movie Luther, listen to the podcast Luther in real time. Like, when you get into the, the politics of it and the drama of it, like, it is fascinating and mind-blowing. Yeah. The amount of danger and, and power struggle. You know, it's interesting as well, since we're talking about this, and not only was religion rocked by the Reformation, but it literally it literally caused a dominoing effect that rocked politics as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and we don't give that enough credit. Like, we live here in the United States. Well, we kind of live in post-United States, but I won't get into that right now. But... Because what ended up happening, see, the worldview that people had before is that you could not just go straight to God. Remember, we talked about this. You had to have all these intercessory, uh, intermediates, okay? Priests on a local level, then the Pope, then Mary, then angels, then this, then that. So there was all these barriers, right? So that's in the church realm, right? But they also viewed the king that way as well. So if the king, so the king they believed was divinely appointed and so to to contradict the king was to essentially contradict God, right? Well the logic began once Luther and this thing really started to shake and people started to wake up and think they began to now begin to say if the pope himself can be corrected then the king can be corrected. 
if the Pope can be ignored, if what he's doing contradicts the Bible, so can the king. And, it, and, and literally, it shifted the way people thought about the relation, their relationship to authority, and 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 the and the the limits on church authority and then governing authority. So, like to say that that was the most profound thing that happened probably since Jesus is not an understatement. And we are sitting here on a podcast right now, being able to express our own views without being afraid of getting arrested or put to death because of that. And we can talk about politics that way. At least, I mean, to this day so far, we can do that. And we can also talk about religion. And, and that, that is not normal. What we're doing right now is not normal when you compare it with the rest of world history. Right. No, totally true. Man, the Reformation. Like, it's huge. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like, it's really exciting. I mean, because of, of what he did, what God did through him mm-hmm. and his obedience to it. Oh, and here's another little tidbit. Out of hiding. Here's another little tidbit. Luther may have been bipolar or schizophrenic. In fact, if you talk to some hardcore like a Roman Catholic apologist now, they'll still allude to him like you guys follow a crazy man. Martin Luther was half crazy, which is another interesting thing. But so are you? Yeah, exactly. Like, it makes, but like <laughs> he was eccentric. He was eccentric. And crazy, like you can go visit one of his uh, houses. I think it was after the Reformation. He lived in this house um, with his wife, which was a radical thing that he got married. He ended up getting he, married, yes, yes, which was a radical, radical thing. But he got married, was having kids, and all this stuff. But you can see in his office, there's a there's a huge ink stain on this back wall where he was writing one night and became convinced. That Satan was in the room with him, okay, behind him, and he grabbed the inkwell and flipped out and slammed it against the wall, like thinking he was going to hit Satan with it. Woke up all the kids. Yes, yeah. like, so mad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he thought the devil was in the room with him. Yeah. So, like, he definitely was an oddball. Like, definitely, maybe did. There is the. Ch- I mean, maybe Satan was in the room. I, I don't know. But dude, he at, he at that point that. in time. Who would be the best person? To yeah, I mean, I guess I would Luther. go after Luther if I was the devil. But, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, it's just an interesting. I just don't think that we understand sometimes the implications of like what he did and how like we're blessed by it today. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so easy to think about like these pastors today who like really stand up and stand firm. You know, like w- with whatever it might be, and 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 they have like a profound impact on not just us but like culture. Um, but he changed. Everything, everything at that time and, like, and from there on like I mean that's why we believe you know in the main point like uh, Ecclesia Reformata um, Semper Reformanda mm-hmm. like church reformed always reforming and it's because of what he did like we've we've got to keep our eyes on it and, and what's really interesting because what you said is, is so true and like I, I talked to a few people about it like how crazy Luther is we talked about that after service with several folks and and I said, you know, like what's interesting is thinking into your own life. The smartest person you know probably has some like weird social quirks. Yeah, it's like their brain is like wired, they're like so real smart. Tight, you know what I mean? Like they're just wound and up. And regardless of his quirks, man, he's. Yeah. I mean, he he nailed it. Like, I mean, no pun intended. I mean, he he nailed this um, for sure. So, last thing, um, talking about nailing to the the door of the, yeah. the church. You sent something uh, to me, White, yeah. yeah, which. 
So they would often nail things. There was that, lots. That of was like the community board. Yes. So it wasn't uncommon to nail things there. No. So like when people saw Luther walk up to the door, it wasn't like you know like the clouds parted. There's there this beam of light on him and like right. It's this beautiful like, door. What's and no he one does doing? this. Right. No. People do it all the time. Like, hey, I lost my cow. You know, out of my pasture. You know, if you see it, let me know. Like literally, just random things would get posted up there. But the significance is that he posts all of their errors. And he posted in German. Yes. So people can so go and like get up they can actually read, read that part. And he did that strategically because so many people would post on there, and it was like people would go. They didn't have Facebook to go look at stuff. Like they would go and they would read it. That's why he put it there. But when he did it, the day he did it, probably nobody knew nothing. Like they didn't. It wasn't an odd thing to see Father Luther walk up there and post something because maybe he would be like, "Hey, we're gonna have a potluck after church on Sunday," so he'd post that on the thing. Like, it, it wasn't an unusual... Would he have been Father Luther? Yeah, oh yeah, he was a priest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not just a monk. No, no, he was serving in the church. Yeah. Probably there. I don't think he was, like, the lead guy or whatever. But that like was just was, two weeks' notice. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you found that on there. That's that's a quick termination. It, it was just a... It was just a... It, it did not stand out, and then he just walked away, and then just let it... It's just almost like a little, like a little time bomb. Like, he just set it there... And, and yeah, it was no just doubt. waiting for people to read it and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And just it probably just stood there like, what is he saying? Like, are you kidding me right now? And then, you know, yeah. off it went. Yeah, it definitely didn't happen overnight, right? I mean, it wasn't until four years later that the Imperial Diet of Worms happened. So, And I tell you, I'd say one more thing, too. R.C. Sproul brings up this point, and I think it's worth... So when he so like in the movies, there's there was a movie in the '40s that's kind of famous uh, that you can watch, and it kind of depicts it like he stands before the cardinals and all these people, and he pronounces, you know, unless I'm convinced by the word of God, you know, I will not recant. That's not exactly how it went down. That was on he said that on day two, on day one they held up all his books and they they made all their charges of the things that he was saying. Will you recant your writings? And he said, can I pray about it? He kind of paused because he knows how serious this is. Can I have a night to pray about it? So they said yes. So then he goes into his room. It wasn't really a cell, but it was guarded. They should have burned him then. Yeah, they just they put <laughs> him in day his room. Two. And like, he prayed all night long. God, give me strength. Give me strength. This is like standing in front of ISIS. Okay, people? You know what I mean? These are this is not a joke. Right. You're gonna I mean, do you wanna burn to death? Like imagine how painful that is. Like this is not a freaking movie. This is not a this is real life. So he's like, Can I can I think about it? And but he couldn't get away from it. He said, My conscience is bound by the word of God. I can't recant this stuff. Uh, so that happened on day two where he made that big, you know, that, that big epic speech. Yeah. And read it. If you don't know what we're referring to, just read what he said. It is inspiring, especially when you understand that these people are lunatics. That they burn it with, they're lunatics with nice hats and nice robes, and they might burn him that day. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that was good. It was a, a wonderful Reformation Sunday for sure with our church family. Cool hearing the conversations after, too. So I'm glad, as far as New Hill, that it seems like there was a something clicked where people were like, oh, this is actually a thing. Like, Reformation Day, 
Like, hopefully we can continue to, like, really promote that every year and make a big deal about it to understand that it's it's a big deal. It's a really big deal, and it's a huge blessing that we need to, like, remember each year at that time. You know, October 31st is a good time because that's when he, he nailed that um, to the door. Um, and then hopefully it'll spark an interest in this topic because... Anybody who looks into it gets fascinated by it. It's just, it's so interesting yep. what happened. Right. No doubt. Another interesting topic, the doctrines of grace. Mm, that came out of this, yep. So, um, last week we talked about the total depravity of man. Um, that meaning that man is unable um, and has no ability in and of himself to save himself um, or to merit favor with God, um, to obtain salvation uh, by works or by any means um, apart from the finished work of Christ. So this gets into um, the next point of the doctrines of grace. Tulip, we talked about, T-U-L-I-P, like the flower. And this, uh, all this stuff came out of the Reformation. Right. So then you have, I'll go ahead and lay out the points and then we'll get into unconditional election. Uh, you've got the total depravity of man, that's the T. The U is unconditional election. L is limited atonement. I is irresistible grace. P is perseverance of the saints. Um, again, this is their stepping stones here. So if you've missed an episode, I would encourage you just click pause on this one. Your uh, podcast, Spotify or Apple, uh, will bring you back to this moment if you pause it now. Go back and listen to those. We've got an introductory, I think about two weeks ago, and then last week was total depravity of man. This week, unconditional election. Now I want to lay the premise here because. Um, everybody believes in God's unconditional love, right? We hear like, you know, we're supposed to love unconditionally, like God loves unconditionally. It's very difficult for us to love unconditionally. Um, right. and, and yes, like we should strive for that. Things shouldn't get in between us and our relationships with people. It shouldn't keep us from forgiving. But there's something about that that needs to be better understood here directly toward our salvation, not just God's unconditional love, but how it plays into our salvation. So let me just lay the premise here for unconditional election, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Pastor Gary. But um, unconditional election means that God has chosen his people before the foundation of the world, um, not according to works, there's no condition, but according to his purpose and his will. He has chosen to save some and overlook others. Um, so this is unconditional, meaning your salvation is not conditioned on anything. Um, it is God who sovereignly chose his people um, before the foundation of the world. Again, not conditioned. Why is it important to understand that our salvation is not conditioned upon anything, Pastor Gary? Yeah, this is good. Because the one thing that we cannot, I don't care how you fall, you can't get around the word election. Because it's in the Bible. Constantly. Does that mean like political the election? The elect. In other words, that God has a people that he has saved. Okay. Those people are referred to as elect. Which is talked about even yeah. apart from like election, you see to God's elect. Yes. Like when Paul writes Constantly. his epistles. Yeah. Constantly. Yep. So <clears throat> that's, it makes people very uncomfortable <laughs> because they're, that word is so loaded because it means like it's not random. It's a choice. We use that word politically. We elect we don't, we don't flip a coin to say who's going to be the mayor of Medina. There's an election. There's a choice that's made, in that case, by the people. So the Bible uses that term. You can't get around it. You say, oh, I don't like the doctrine. It's like, do you believe in the doctrine of election? The answer has to, if you're a Christian, it has to be yes. 
The question then becomes, is it conditional election or unconditional? In other words, does God have preconditions before he decides who his elect people are? So there are, it, you can't get around this. Now, some people would say, well, I'm not an Arminian or whatever, but, but, I, but they will say God's elect people is conditioned upon them accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If they do that, then they become the elect. Okay. So this starts to tie in. Yes. Sorry, pause real quick. This ties into last week. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it's a building block. Again, yes, if like, you didn't listen to the Total Depravity episode, please go back and listen to it. And the connection here is that since then from the scriptures, we understand that man is incapable of saving himself or working his way to salvation. Then something has to happen for man to be saved. Right. Yes. I mean, there's, or they won't be saved. Right. Because we're un- unable, we're unwilling, we're not even wanting to be able. It's not like we're unable, but boy, we wish we would be able to. S- no. Like, we don't want to be saved, we can't be saved on our own, and we don't even care by ourselves. So, this is where it gets, this is where it gets heavy. But, like, the Bible presents that there is nothing that, the, that man can do or would do that would save himself. So, God has to take the action to do it. The Bible describes God as being no respecter of persons. So he is not evaluating merit of any individual, either by how they look, what their race is, what their gender is, what their history is, what anything. His election of his people is unconditional. It's not on the basis of who they are or what they've done. And that is it. And so, if you've got a problem with that, number one, we're going to go over scriptures here that just flat out says it as his election is his choice. But you also then, therefore, logically, that's why these are building blocks, that you're going to have a major problem explaining how humans are totally depraved. You see the connection there. Because if humans have the ability to do something that pleases God, then they may be depraved, but they're not totally depraved. So the whole thing starts to fall apart when you start to deny um, unconditional election. Now, we do, as Christians, accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. We do pray to him. We do ask for him to save us. We do ask for him um, to to forgive us and to to save us and and to make us Christians. And if we don't do that, then we're not saved. There's nobody who's saved who doesn't want to be saved. There's nobody saved who doesn't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So it's not that's not the issue. What we're asking is what's the first domino that falls here? The first domino is God's election of his people. Then that sparks within us, at his appointed time, faith and repentance and grace and mercy and salvation and so forth. But it's unconditional. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. Right. Yeah, and I mean... It's, it's vitally important. And, and it's something, too, um, I think we, we often, sometimes it's associated with Paul's writings, but this has been something God did since mm-hmm. before, like, one, it was set in motion before the foundation of the world. But the Old Testament, we talk about God having a people, right, the mm-hmm. Israelites. That didn't change. Mm-mm. God has always had a people, right? And they've always been looking to the cross of Christ. 
Um, they, they longed for it in the Old Testament. They uh, foresaw it. They, they had a, a foretaste of what was to come. Um, and they, they looked for the coming Messiah. And that yeah, those people didn't choose to be Jews. And they didn't choose to be circumcised either. That happened before they had any choice in any of it. They were brought, part, part, they were brought into the people of God apart from anything they did themselves. So that, that system, that economy hasn't changed. That's they were still, God, still saved and justified the same way. Faith. Grace through, yes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two. But so they didn't choose their election. Right. The Jewish, Abraham did not choose that. God elected Abraham. God came to Abraham. God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And so forth. And then every subsequent Jew after that was born into it. Right. It was not something they chose, and it wasn't something that they did or earned. Because right. even their circumcision, which was a sign of that covenant, happened to them when they were infants. So it wasn't even a choice at that point for them. Right. So here, let's let's turn to some scriptures uh, here. I want to talk about um, this. And I want to preface this with saying that Pastor Gary and even myself, when, when first seeing this doctrine, first being exposed to it, our first inkling isn't to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, no, this is something that I, I believe every man and woman has wrestled with that has embraced this. Yeah, I don't um, know anybody who rolls out of bed thinking like this. Yeah. Like, you've got to be taught this, and it's something that is not natural to us. Right. Because everything that we think of, we think we've earned it or we've done it. And then you start to realize, whoa, there's a bigger there's a bigger thing going, right. dynamic that's at work here that's way bigger than our mind can naturally perceive on its own. Right. So this is going to be lengthy here for a second. It's about uh, 11 or 12 verses. But Ephesians 1, mm -hmm. Paul lays a good foundation here. He says here, picking up verse 3 after his introduction, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now I want to stop here. He chose us... Um, in him before the foundation of the world. Yes. And one other thing to add to this, he's writing to believers. This mm -hmm. is important. I think a lot of times we just think he, like Paul's just writing this. No, this is written to believers. Um, so this isn't everybody. This is God. Yeah, so the us. People, right. So it says, um, chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And that's a capital B talking about Jesus. Okay, so again, so then your predestination, your election, your salvation rests in him, and it's according to the purpose of his will. And it's yet yeah, before the foundation of the world, before you've done anything good or bad, we'll get into that in a minute, um, talking about unconditional, um, but it's been according to the purpose of his will. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined to the uh, according to the purpose of him who works 
all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So much uh, to, to say there. Oh, yeah, there you go. So much to to expound on. Obviously, for the sake of time, like we're not going to preach through this. If you were with us early on at New Hill, we went through Ephesians and um, maybe go through it again in the next uh, few years, um, just because it's something that you could just constantly remind yourself and go back to. Ephesians is just a, a great letter for us to um, continue to go back to. But there's so much there, right? So like our predestination, our election, right, our salvation. Um, is according to him and his grace, according to the purpose of his will, it says. And then it also says, um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Right. So this even goes into like Paul when he writes uh, to the church of Corinth, uh, when he says the word of you God say is... Corinth, but it's Corinth. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever. So, um, I also said wolves instead of wolves uh, this wolves? past week. Yeah. Anyways. You're, yeah. you're from West Virginia. Yeah, we, it, we it shows you. up from time to time. Um, man, where's like Oh, so he writes to Sorry. Corinth, um, and he tells them the word of God is folly to yes. those who are perishing. So, like, all of this is, it doesn't make sense to those who aren't believers, right? So, like, this mystery is profound, um, but he's, he's revealed it to you by his grace, and now you can begin to have a better understanding of it. Um, so, I mean, it goes into the fact that, like, even in our evangelism, we're not, like, leading with, hey, brother, are you predestined? Right. They're going to be like, huh? Right. Like, even a lot of believers are like, huh? Like, you don't understand this at first. Like you said, it, you're taught um, through the word, not by, by man's own understanding, not by man's own teaching. This isn't Calvin's teaching. Um contrary or uh, in opposition to God's word. Right. This is from God's word. But it talks about it being a mystery, right? Like our salvation is a mystery, but it's been made known to us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I, man, there's just so much there. Yeah, no, I mean, and Jesus taught this in John 15, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Paul Paul hammers this in several of his letters. In his letter to, to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 9, he's talking about Jesus said he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. I mean, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It's not your works which would include faith and, and repentance and, and all of those things. It is not because of any of that. It's because of the purpose of his grace. In other words, his grace has a purpose. He has, he has a plan that's at work that he's working out. And that's why he saved us. That's it. Not because I'm good. Not because I, do, I, I would do good things for him. Not because of any of that. Not because I deserve it or anything like that. It's because he has a purpose in his grace to save a people. And he did that before the ages began. His choice of us. His predestination of us. His election of us. 
So it was unconditional. It's, it has nothing to... So because some people may say, yeah, no, of course, God knows the future. So he looked down through the corridors of time and decided that he would elect everyone he knows is going to choose him. Right. So he looks down. He says, okay, Michael one day is going to choose me, so I'm going to predestine him. Okay, this guy here is not going to choose me one day, so I, he's not part of my elect. Paul, not only does he say this happens before the foundations, but he repeatedly, over and over, says not because of them, not because of their good works. In Romans chapter 9, when he's talking about Esau and Jacob, he says before here, can I, can I read that real quick? Them, yeah, before either of them did anything good or bad, right. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. So this is, yeah, straight from the scriptures, talking about um, Jacob and Esau. But it is not as though the word of God uh, has failed. This is Romans 9, picking up in verse 6. Um, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring um, be named, uh, shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now listen to this, because this is, Paul gets into this. The interesting thing with Romans is he foresees Paul all of these uh, disputes that may come about with yeah, this. Like this. So, so he's going ahead, hey, this might be the only letter I get to you or whatever. Like he's, he's just beating him to the punch. Like he's I, answering I, the question. So blessed by this. Yeah. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he has mercy, and he hardens whomever he has uh, whomever he wills. And he can I mean he just he continues on. He, he like Paul like just it's like he won't get off of it. Like, he just hammers this over and over and over. Like, he just, it's almost like, okay, Paul, we get it. You know what I mean? Like, over and over, all of his writings constantly. Peter does it as well. Jesus mentions it as well. So then the response is like, for us, like, what's, like, where's the rubber hit the road here? When you think about your salvation, and if you ask yourself, why did Jesus save me? Why, why am I saved? There's only one answer, and that is because he loved me. Period. Like, period. Unconditionally. Period. Unconditionally. So, so, and this is where it gets difficult because we, I love my wife unconditionally. And it's like, all right, I want, like, so, always that so, way, yeah, right? exactly. It didn't start out that way. It God was. did. So, like, the, the basis of our salvation rests in him who <clears throat> loved us first before we had done either good or bad. Now, Aubrey caught my attention because long, beautiful brown hair. I was attracted to that. She, you know, she was beautiful. On top of that, she had a great personality. She was sweet. She was a believer. These are all conditions mm -hmm. for, for me. And, and, like, there's a sense where we just can't match that. Now, like, 
now I'm going to love her unconditionally, right? Like there's nothing that she can do, um, hopefully, right? Like hopefully my sinful nature doesn't get in the way where I just quit loving her. But like it's not that way with God. And The and closest th- analogy we have would be our kids. Right. Okay? Our you kids, love them in the womb before they do either. Good or bad. Yes. Now, follow the logic on that though. Because they didn't do anything at all to merit that unconditional love from dad or from mom, right? They they get it because they get it. Like they get it because they exist. Right. <laughs> That's it. Like that 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 is the closest analogy, which I think is beautiful because God uses terminology like father, like sons and daughters and that's how he wants it's like he uses those words it helps us to understand, okay, now I get it. Because to say otherwise is to then go, wait a minute, you're telling me you love your kids with a deeper, more true love than he loves his people. Because his people had to earn something to get his attention. Mm-hmm. Your kids don't. Right. But he, but we do. No, so, whoa, 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 time out. Like, you're not a better father than God. Right. Okay? So, that's... so. I always want, not just I, we, the pastors at New Hill, like we want this theology stuff to impact your heart. Right. We want it to, we want you to get it. Like, why do we get so excited at church when we gather together? Because when we're singing about this stuff, for example, or we're hearing it preached, when you've got the right perspective, it is awe-inspiring. It, it like takes your breath away to think about this stuff. But if you don't get the big, if you're not getting the groundwork done here, the theology stuff, then the, then the seeing of the stuff on Sundays can almost be shallow because you're thinking, okay, Jesus loves me. Well, obviously he would love me. I'm a good person. Why would he not love me? Right. When you. The theology puts everything in the proper context to when the emotions hit when you hear things like this, and not because of anything that I had done. And it causes us to, a couple responses. One, explode in gratitude, and we say this over and over. And also humbles us when we look at other people. We're not better than them. Mm -hmm. We don't deserve any of this more than them. So we've got no business acting like jerks to them. Because we're no better than them. We not didn't a, do not anything. of works, so that no one may boast. Exactly. So, Paul also writes uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to ch- shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And became of him, you are in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boast, uh, or let the one, sorry, who boast, boast in the Lord. I mean, he, he even hits it there. It's like, we God is is choosing the least likely, uh, choosing the the least powerful, right? Like He uses our weakness to display His glory. And, you know, like we talk about that from the pulpit a lot. Is is we rely on God's word and and trust and know that He is using our weakness and our faults to display His power. Now that doesn't mean it goes even to 
to even Paul in, in Romans 6, like, okay, well then maybe we can show the world through our sin how grace abounds. And he says, no, don't do that, right? Even though grace abounds in your sin, it doesn't mean that you continue and carry on sinning, no. right? So God is doing what God because has always the, done. What, right? what the manifestation of that is that the reason why we don't want to continue sinning why that's not okay is because the grace changes us and so the manifestation of that change is what glorifies his grace not our filth but right true righteousness magnifies his grace to the world like these are changed people mm -hmm. and so paul is like no you guys have it backwards that doesn't show any that shows if 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 you're supposed to sin to show how great the grace is, that doesn't show how great grace is. Right. It shows it's powerless. It's that it's pointless. Right. That it's worthless. So one point to make because you made the comparison with unconditional election uh, to children. Uh, some might say, well, aren't all children of God? Isn't everybody who bears His image aren't they a child of God? Not according to the Bible. Right. So uh, th and this is important because. That may sound like mean, and it's contrary to the American church, um, who, where, where you hear a lot of times, well, we're all children of God. It's just, it's not true, and it takes away from one of the verses we already read um, that talked about we are adopted. Um, so if you're adopted um, through Christ Jesus, right, if you're adopted into the family uh, by the blood of Jesus, then that means that you weren't a part of the family to begin with. Right. Now... Uh, a few things here from John 1 verses you 9. You came from a different family. Right. John 1, 9 through 13 hits on several things here that uh, we can expound on. It picks up and says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of of God, that's adoption. Verse thirteen: Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but right. of God. So it's God's will, yes. right? Um, so I, I want to spend a little bit of time here, and it'll probably be where we close up because I think it'll take a little bit of time. How does this affect one's evangelism? Because what would be the yeah. the response from people then? Like, what's the point of evangelism then? If God already has an elect people. Like, what's the point? And if there is a point, do we just go around looking for, like, the blue mark on everybody's back? Right. Well, we don't know who God's people is. So, first of all, like, that would be extremely foolish and dangerous to think, like, you're going to be able to... Because that would make it easy, right? You just go find the elect people, share the gospel with them, and then they get saved. But <laughs> that's not how it works at all. Um, well, God, then how would you do that, too, yeah, right? How is it conditional? Oh, you, oh, that person's good. They must yeah, be one exactly. of the elect. But that's so, contrary to the word. Right. And and so that it, it's totally foolish to, to even think you can somehow decipher that. But we're not... He never called us... Like, it just goes to... What do you think of the Bible? Like, <laughs> he never wanted... To, he told us to do something, which was, in this case, we're talking about evangelism. So you go and you share the gospel with the whole world. Okay. It, we are not, we have no business trying to act like we can decipher who should be hearing this and who should not be hearing this. He doesn't give us that prerogative. He doesn't tell us to do that. He doesn't tell us to evaluate anybody. He says, go share with everybody. What goes on after you preach the gospel, quote unquote, preach, like share, proclaim the gospel, what goes on between them and God is between them and God, not you. You're, you just share. You just throw the seed. You, you don't have any business 
so there's two effects. One, you share with everybody. But two, you go in faith because this gospel message is unstoppable. In other words, God's so it, it's a hundred percent successful. It goes out. God's word never returns void. It accomplishes exactly what He sends it out for. So when you go and you share, you don't have. There is no. Um, there is no. Uh, uh, I failed. The only way to fail is to not share, right? Because if you share, and they don't get saved right there on the spot. That also is part of God's plan for their life because even if they are elect, many of the elect hear the gospel many, many times and it's all part of the process God is taking them through to bring them to salvation or God is going to use those opportunities to hear the gospel and to receive it that they rejected and use it on judgment day against them. Right. We get, so you, you don't, it, it's just not your that's not your job. Like, just stay in your lane, do your job. You're not saving anybody. Your job is to proclaim it. Right. And it should give you comfort to to not rest in your ability, right? Yes. Like, just share the message. Like, if someone rejects it and you believe that, like, you had something to do with that, then... Nope. Yeah, then you're going to walk away feeling hopeless and helpless. You're going to think, scared. like, I shouldn't do it. Yeah, I'm scared. Like, someone else might reject it or... You know, God, I'm sorry. I, I should have shared it this way. I should have brought up the, you know, five points of Calvinist, Calvinism to them. I should have brought right. up that everybody's a child of God. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's not sure. like that. Yeah, proclaim it. Like, even if there's says, power in the message, yeah. not you. Well, and guess what? Like, God has chosen to use his people to send his message. I, I use Mark as an example always. And the, the, the difference between me and Mark is Mark just shares it. I've used him as an example. He's probably the, the best evangelist I've ever personally been around. I, it's constant with him. It's like, bro, like he just can't stop it. And there is nothing about what Mark is doing that I quote unquote can't do or you can't do or anybody. All he does is open his mouth. That's it. Right. And he leads people to Christ often because he opens his mouth. It, it really is that simple. I, I don't know how to explain it. I've watched him do it, okay? And I've, I've witnessed the people. You know, I, I he, in a sense, put me to shame. Like, when we, every time I'm around him, I'm, like, always convicted and encouraged at the same time. It's like he is not doing anything extraordinary. Like, he, it's not like he's lightning bolts are not coming out of his ears. He's not, you know, walking on water. He's not doing anything that you can look at and go, wow, that that all he does is just say, I mean, he will look for something to, to bring it up. Like he like we were in the taxi with one time with a, in a, an Arab guy that we had just assumed is a Muslim. So he just asked him, are you a Muslim? <laughs> he just yeah. asked him. Right. And then, yo, yes, yes. And, and then, boom, then Mark starts saying, well, have you ever, uh, do you know about Jesus? I mean, it, it, this is not brain surgery talk going on here. Mm -hmm. Mark is not quoting Greek to this guy. He's not, he's just talking to him. The guys, did he get saved right there? No. But when we got out of that, it wasn't a, I don't think it was a taxi, it was an Uber. Anyway, when we got out of the car, the guy knew that the Bible says Jesus is Lord and that if you're going to get to heaven, you need to come to Jesus and mm -hmm. Jesus is the Savior. Right. That's what that guy knew. So, 
What happens after that? We don't know. I don't know if that guy will ever hear another presentation again, or the next guy who gets in the car may say something to him, and that guy may be in a church right now. We, who knows? Mark doesn't know. I don't know. Right. We don't know. But my point, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is... Also, doesn't matter. There's in You're a supposed sense, to do it, yeah. Yeah, like, we can't... Mark should not get out of the car like, oh, man, that guy didn't get saved. Like, uh, but I'm see, not, like, I'm that's not the good thing at too, this. Like, I better leave this right. to somebody else. No, you just mentioned to somebody else. Right. There's my what I want to get. I just almost want to say go with Mark someday. If you ever get a chance to go ride around with Mark, you'll see what I'm saying. There right. is nothing mind blowing about what he's doing, other than saying he just says it. Well, and I mean take take it from the words of Paul, who is you know the biggest Calvinist ever. Is is I decided to know nothing among. <laughs> Paul's a big Calvinist. Yeah, like <laughs> like he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and right. the crucified. Like our gospel presentation, like sometimes we try and get into like so much, like like Mark will like talk about the law. Like Mark can go a little bit deeper, right? And he'll explain he things. Can, yeah. And it depends on where that conversation goes. Yes. But like sometimes we overcomplicate it. Like, yes. And I've mentioned this a lot, so it's going to sound like beating the horse dead. But like if if you've been saved, you've experienced the joy of the gospel, then share that. Like. Sometimes it's like, all right, well, like, what, what was something that pastor said that stuck out one time? And don't worry about that. Start with the gospel. Yes. Now, it may lead to ongoing conversations with that person. Yes. If you know they may hit you with a question that you need to say, hey, let me look into that. I'll yeah, let's, let's meet at Starbucks again next yes. week. But, but, man, like, just start with the gospel. And back to what I was saying, you know, like what we were talking about earlier. Like, how does this affect your evangelism? Like, God, remember, God has chosen to use his people uh, to display his glory and to proclaim the gospel. So he's chosen to redeem people through the proclamation yes. of his word. Yes. So he's using you. He's chose to use you. Now, you can be obedient or disobedient to that. Right. Um, and it would be disobedience to God, not your pastors. Um, don't don't be disobedient to God. He's This is his decision to um, uh, expand his kingdom by means of the church. That he is using us to go and share the gospel, um, and and send missionaries out to go and, and and share the gospel in foreign countries to to those of, of different tribes and different tongues. Um, but he's chosen to use us, and he's not not just chosen. He's he's right. commanded he's chosen it. the people, and yeah. he's chosen the means. Yeah, the way to do it, and that's sending us out. Right. So don't let this affect your evangelism by not going. Uh, just let it give you full assurance that as you're going. It doesn't rest in you. You don't get credit for um, for their salvation. You didn't save them, um, but you also didn't cast them to hell, right? right. Like you, you didn't make that decision for them. You didn't suck so bad in your gospel presentation that they, they didn't come to Christ. Yeah. No, share the gospel and trust in Christ. One thing I did want to end with, too, I don't know, end with or sure. just I want to mention. I want to tie this back into the Reformation because these five points oftentimes is referred to as Reformed Theology. Mm -hmm. If you ever hear that term, this is the basis of what that is referring to. But when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the, on the door there, this is, he, he was not, this is not what he was talking about. So then the question would be, what's the tie-in with the Reformation? What, how did this happen? And I want to point this out. So when the Reformation sparked, people began to look at the Word of God different, the Bible, it's like, wait a minute, we need to get back to the Bible. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have Bibles. We got Latin Bible, maybe one Latin Bible in the church that was it. Like, get your head around that. Like, mm -hmm. one Bible in the whole town, and it was in Latin. So, 
wait a minute. If we're going to be a biblical, like if we're going to be a godly church, we have to have the Bible be our basis mm -hmm. of faith, right? So then the next logical thing that happened was like, we need Bibles. This, by the way, corresponded with the printing press when the printing press came about. Like that also just was like gasoline on the fire. Well, nobody could, and he, half the priests couldn't even read Latin. Did you know that? Like it's not like the priest up, the average priest in the average town was not reading Latin, okay? We got to get these Bibles in the tongue of the people so they can read it and know what to do and know what to believe because mm -hmm. the Pope is goofy now. We all know this now. This is like this. Uh, uh, so then what? So then they started getting, and that was through a lot of persecution. I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff. It was not an easy thing to get Bibles in French and in German and in, you know, in, in all these other languages, right? But they did. Right. Pretty quickly. We got to get the Bibles in these people's hands. Now they can read it in their own language. Mm -hmm. Then they start reading it, all these verses that they never really knew before. Okay? This is all happening within the same 20, 30 year period. Right. They're reading the Bible going, holy cow, like we have been... We are so far from what the what Paul was writing, what Peter was writing, what Jesus was writing. They the way they approached, so now they got the Bible in their own tongue. They started having their own pastors who said, "We need to stick to the Bible." Okay, not traditions, not all this other stuff can be helpful. So then, what quickly evolved was what we now refer to as expository preaching. Just just read the text and expound on it. expository, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Expository. When you start doing that, and you get into Ephesians, you get into Romans. It's so saturated in these books that they began to preach these things, and then it began to kind of like settle into five points that you were just reading out of the Bible. So that's the connection to the Reformation that the people then had the Bible in their eventually within 10, 15, 20 years, they had the Bible in their own language, preachers preaching from the Bible, and then this is all over it. Right. And they didn't know it. And now they know it. And it boom, it just exploded. Amen. We hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have any questions, go to newhilloh.com slash ask to send those in for a biblical response. All right, church, go and honor God in all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded. Provide to the needs of others and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace. Boom.